Hi there, and welcome to the Chinwag with me, Mike Laverick. It's a little bit chilly uh, today, so I've got my big, big jumper on. <laughs> my big jumper, as we say up north, because uh, it's uh, a little bit colder. We went through a sunny spell recently, and now it's now it's turned. The weather is crazy. But anyway, you don't want to know about weather here in the UK. I don't know why I'm uh, going on about it, but there we are, you know. Gives me something to prattle on about as an intro. Um, with me today is a chap I met at the Pittsburgh VMUG uh, just about two weeks ago. His name's David Burton. And after my session, we had like a, a chin wag, which was not recorded. Um, and we had a good old like natter about various things. And uh, it occurred to me that we could have David on, on the real thing. And that, that's kind of how the Chingwag got started, because I was sort of chatting to people and thinking, this would be a really good conversation to have recorded and broadcast. But you don't tend to have the recording equipment with you at the time that you stumble upon someone. But anyway, you're about to hear his dulcet tones. And if you're watching the video, you can see his, his smiling face. Smile at the audience. <laughs> so, um, David, introduce yourself. Uh, where are you from? And... Uh, where you you know what do you do what sort of business yeah do you uh, my name is uh, my name is david burden i'm out here in pittsburgh pennsylvania weather's a bit different out here uh, hot and rainy um but uh, i work at healthcare vertical um i've been doing vmware for oh gosh um so many years now it's hard to keep track and now i now i run a virtualization team uh and uh, our infrastructure is uh, is is growing so rapidly it's hard to keep a handle on that's probably why you and i got to chat so uh You've just, I understand you've just started blogging as well. What's the URL for your blog? Ah, uh, Vbert. Um, my last name is Burton. Uh, so vbert.blogspot.com is where I'm starting. Uh, and uh, I've, I've got a passion for PowerShell. So I love automation, especially when I have thousands of virtual machines to run and only three people to run them. Um, so it's, it's very handy to automate as much as we possibly can. So the first few blog posts are going to be kind of an in-depth overview of um, how we migrated recently from uh, vCenter 5.0 to 5.1. Um, we weren't gonna, really. That's going to be something that we talk about later uh, yeah. today. So, um, without further ado, let us jump in. We 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 got talking about vCloud Director when I was in Pittsburgh, mainly because I had a a session that was about that. And um, as some of the people who follow my blog will know, I've now moved on to look at vCloud Automation Center because I kind of I wouldn't say exhausted all the functionality of vCloud Director, but I certainly sucked up the main things it could do. But I, I understand, I think maybe a way of us kind of framing the discussion about vCloud Director is to talk about you had a need for something in your environment. And you we were certainly for, did. Look, so let's talk about what that need was. Yeah, the, whether the, the round, round one. serviced it or not for you. Yeah, the round one need for us was, um, we've got, being that as large of companies we are, um, we had so many internal software development groups, um, they were really clamoring to have an environment that they could stand up and tear down virtual machines rapidly for application deployment. They really needed a, a large um, on-demand lab environment where they could um, really play and have their have their way, if you will. Um, and that, that started to snowball. Other teams started to, to hear about vCloud Director. I demoed it a few times and, and uh, teams started really asking us for timelines and dates when we were going to implement it. Um, and, uh, and, and it started to grow and grow, and we started looking at potentially including vCloud Director as part of our, uh, our enterprise standard for all virtual machines across the enterprise. And then, uh, then I, that's, when, that's when you and I started to chat a little bit, and um, am I pushing outside the scope of uh, vCloud Director's best use case? 
Um, we've got over 5,000 virtual machines today. Uh, and we've got a lot of technical teams that are involved with building those virtual machines. Uh, and most of them today use the, just the vCenter interface. And, and I think, I think as, as we started looking at the, the scope of vCloud Director and, and where it can offer assistance in our, in our environment here, we, we started, I believe, we started to go past the developer phase, which I think is a, is the, is a really great niche. Obviously, vCloud Director kind of came in um, and really started to become its own as Lab Manager um, went out. Uh, so we were uh, we were really interested in that lab manager style feature of vCloud Director, and I still think that that would be a, a great use case um, for us to be able to have to be able to have that abstraction layer, so that technical folks don't need to know anything about vCenter or a host. That there be another layer between um, the person who's deploying and snapshotting their virtual machines, uh, get them away from this, the actual data stores and the hosts, because they probably don't even know what they're talking about. Uh, and, and get them into more of a web-type feel uh, and a more of a self-service portal so they don't have to submit requests. Anytime they want to have a new system built, they can just go click go, build me a system. Uh, and that interface is still uh, very attractive to a lot of people at the company here. Is that something uh, that you... I, I mean, is vCloud Director kind of too much for your requirements if all you need is a simple self-service portal? Um, it, it's certainly developing into something that's a lot bigger. Um, uh, one of our one of our internal issues with bringing vCloud Director to the enterprise as a whole that we're going to have to solve internally is if we start offering self service across the enterprise for all the three to four hundred virtual machines we deploy every month, what's going to happen to our change control management and request management, and, and what happens to the internal organization is we have all these checks and balances. But now you can just kind of deploy a new system with a single click. Um, so that's actually paused um, our deployment a bit. Um, upper management has come to us and said, uh, vCloud Director is a great product, but it allows people to deploy too quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and it allows them to skip past all of the, um, all of the, all of the red tape, if you will, the, mm -hmm. the approval process. And, and it, it really changes the workflow to deploy a system. Uh, and being that we're growing as fast as we are, it scares a few folks. If we could, if if I tell them that we're going to provide self-service, and then they'll be able to deploy even faster, um, we're barely able to keep up now. So, I guess that's the thing is that I I've sometimes found with customers, uh, their their need was for a very simple web portal that would allow them to pull a template and then deploy it. So they found the, they've looked at the cloud director and they found it's too too much for their particular needs. And of course, the UI of of vCloud Director isn't perhaps as user friendly as for for end consumers as it is perhaps with with other products. I mean, I'm looking at the the vCloud Automation Center, which has its own self service portal, which is very is totally separate from the the administration side of things that perhaps you and me would get involved in. And I think that's perhaps more the kind of direction that customers who have that particular need uh, are going in, because not everybody needs. The multi-tenancy and the multiple logs that 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 vCloud Director actually offers. Good point. Good point. Multi-tenancy is not a strong point uh, in the healthcare vertical right now for us. We have a lot of um, a lot of IT personnel today that log into virtual center and deploy systems. So, uh, my number one use case was going to be to abstract the virtual machine administrators from the virtual infrastructure administrators. Uh, and in vCenter, we have the same portal. 
uh, and it's just a matter of managing security. Um, I, I was I was on the hunt, and vCloud Director was the attempt, and I was on the hunt for an interface that could abstract the virtual machine administrator, the person who deploys VMs and manages them and has to patch them and, and, and uh, upgrade the virtual hardware and tools and all that, away from the person who's managing the ESX servers and the virtual networks. And, and you made a good point. vCloud Director abstracts absolutely everything hmm. uh, and, uh, and, and adds some... It, it adds some new objects, especially in the networking space, that are, are still uh, a bit intimidating um, for the virtualization guy who's who's just trying to understand virtual networking from VMware's ESX and vCenter. And to put a whole other layer on top of it with vCloud Director um, it can, can add a layer of complexity beyond potentially what he's looking for. Mm. Um, it, it's needed, I think, um, for uh, the networking piece to have a... a across-the-board cloud interface. As you can see from multi-tenant cloud providers, you have to have that layer of complexity in the network to be able to yeah, have like, that multi-tenancy. Like the service but, providers, for example. Right, right. Uh, but we're not that. Um, someday we might be, but uh, so it, it definitely adds it adds more layers than I think we uh, we needed um, for, for that kind of interface. Must have been, I've sort of always gone backwards and forwards on, on it, just generally the issue of cloud that I've sometimes felt that if it adds another layer uh, of abstraction, that's great. But that layer of abstraction must allow you to do something which you weren't capable of doing before. If that layer of abstraction just adds another layer of complexity, then perhaps it's not a win situation. But um, I, I guess when, when vCloud Director first came on the scene, there was I looked at other uh, technologies around it and I kind of dismissed them as just being portals. You know, um, and all all it was is you logged in. You could see stuff that you would normally see in virtual center, but it had a different icon behind it. You saw the cluster, and I thought, well, this layer of abstraction isn't abstracted enough. But <laughs> I, I guess for some customers, just having a portal front end was all that they really required. They didn't need, uh, like we were saying, multi tenancy or networks on demand or something like that. So I guess it's about finding out what your need is and then positioning the technology to suit it. Whereas me being a kind of technical guy, I was like, oh, new things I can create, and new layers, it's a new world. I, I sometimes get off on that without thinking, is this, a, is this technology always a good use case for every single customer? Um, which I guess is the kind of point we're sort of dancing around right now. Right, and what's the the product you're uh, working with now from VMware? I I think it's it changed its name. What is it? What's the name again? VCloud Automation Center. So some people call it VCAC, and I've even heard it called VCAC. Okay. Because um, <laughs> over here in in Europe, the the way that some people pronounce it is a bit of a rude word, but we won't go there. So, but yeah, it was originally the Dynamic Ops acquisition, which that, is that's how I remember it. I think I have a few Dynamic Ops posters from last year's VMworld. Uh, and, uh, and, and that product looked like it was, it, it, it met the criteria that you and I were just discussing where mm. it's, it's a, it's a web interface and a portal to be able to interact with your virtual environment, uh, and to be able to interact with, with the other virtual environments in your data center and across, um, across the clouds as well as the Amazons of the world. Uh, and it was a, a portal and you, you know a lot more about it than I do, but vCloud Director has a, a much thicker layer of abstraction. Mm. From the infrastructure uh, and and dynamic ops um, and recac or um, is 
is very likely a better use case uh, for an organization like ours that is rapidly growing and is looking for a, a web interface uh, yeah, to a mean, kind of abstract. What I've been focusing on initially is not just deploying to vSphere or vCloud Director, but also how do you deploy to Hyper-V, how do you deploy to Amazon. The next thing I'm looking at is how do you deploy to uh, RHEL uh, hypervisor, which is a, a KVM derivative. So I'm kind of focusing on the, all the different provisioning targets and how you get them set up and working, um, and just basic things like blueprints. So I'm still, it's kind of like my journey has started all over again, because when you get to the end of one journey, another one begins with a different technology. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess the big difference is with vCloud Director is all that vCloud Director knows about is vSphere. It doesn't know about any other possibilities for deploying stuff. Whereas the big selling point of, of VCAC is the fact that it can deploy to, you know, as many different platforms as there are vendors out there. Which is quickly becoming a reality for a lot of, a lot of people's data centers. Well, I think increasingly what people talk about is this kind of shadow IT that when, when people don't get what they want from us quick enough, then they will go off to Amazon and the like without really thinking about the consequences of, of what that might be from a compliance perspective. And what's attractive about vCloud Automation Center is it does have those kind of workflows of approval that you were talking about. For you know, the, you could say, just deploy, don't ask for any approval. Or you can say, uh, request approval, and then anybody on this particular ACL gets an email that either you know, allows or denies that particular uh, deployment. So it's, it's up to you. I mean, to avoid me sending emails to myself, I've switched off all that approval stuff in my, in my <laughs> lab. But I think in, as I move on, I'll have to create a few kind of bogus accounts so I can see that oh, the user did A, which resulted in outcome X, which sent an email to this person, that kind of thing, and seeing whether you can really like build it for the sort of escalation processes that we, we normally have. So so anyway, that was... Yeah, that'll, that was, be, that'll be the next part of email. Yeah, sure. So I, I guess the other uh, thing that we talked about, and we didn't get to, to go into much detail, was your upgrade from uh, 5.0 vSphere to 5.1. And you sounded like you quite heavily utilized PowerShell to do that. So at a high level, where and why did you use PowerShell to do the sort of upgrade part? Well, phase one, um, there was a, a concern on my part um, about the new architecture of vCenter. Um, and uh, today, uh, I mean, well, not today, I guess, previously, before we did the upgrade, um, we had a, a two-node system. We had vCenter running on one server, and we had SQL database running on another. Looking at um, the, the size of our deployment, we were going to need to move it out to a, a database server, a vCenter server, a single sign-on server, and an inventory server, just as a best practice. So moving from two servers to four servers to break it out would give us a lot more resource and distribution, but it really changed the architecture of vCenter. Um, and I had concerns about doing an in-place upgrade. And uh, I, I had... Uh, uh, I had had a lot of conversations with folks about some of the complexities that they had had with using uh, certificates with single sign-on as well as certificates just for the rest of the uh, the vCenter 5.1 suite. Um, and I wanted to make sure I had an opportunity to stand up the environment in its entirety and test it before we actually deployed it. I didn't want to be here for 48 hours in the office trying to debug why I couldn't get a certificate working. Hmm. Uh, so that was a huge win for being able to stand up the entire environment as a whole separately 
Um, with uh, We were also moving to uh, Windows 2008 to Windows 2008 R2. So we made a lot of changes at the same time. Lots of moving parts. Definitely. Uh, and we, we also had an opportunity, uh, in my mind, to actually move to a new database. Um, we had the previous database that we had had was upgraded from 4.0 to 4.1 to 5. And, and I thought it was a, an opportunity to start with a clean slate. Uh, and uh, give us a whole new infrastructure that uh, had, had all been tested well together uh, and give us a, a chance to stand it up and get it functional before we actually started the migration. Sure. Different server names, get the certificates running and all that. So how did PowerShell uh, and PowerCLI figure into that then? PowerCLI was the process of the configurations and migrations of all the, the 5,000 virtual machines we had um, in two different vCenter environments to actually bring them over to the new vCenter. Obviously, when you when you disconnect an ESX server, because by the way, we did all this live, um, so we had no downtime during all these migrations. Um, uh, when you disconnect an ESX server from vCenter, it's uh, the association it has with its DB switches um, is directly tied to vCenter. So we, what we did is we, we disconnected our ESX servers and connected those ESX servers to a new vCenter. All right, okay. And then we had to move all of the virtual networking and the hosts to the new DV switches in the new vCenter. And here's the interesting part. If you think about your structure, if you have a, a, a large structure, you've got varying security and folders and port groups. And uh, you've, you've got a bunch of containers and uh, storage clusters, storage DRS clusters. And, uh, and you've got um, DR regular DRS clusters. We've got over 100 ESX servers. So we've got lots of clusters and folders and security and users and, and roles. Uh, and, uh, and we had to make sure that all of those details got moved. And when you disconnect an ESX server from vCenter and connect it to a new vCenter, all the virtual machines just wind up in the discovered virtual machines folder. Um, not ideal. And the ESX servers themselves don't wind up necessarily in the cluster that, where they came from. And all the data stores are just kind of piled in the data store view. They're not in a data store cluster or folder or anything. So we had uh, there was a lot of work done. And I, I compartmentalized all the scripts um, so that we could repeat the task one at a time. And it was, uh, it was a breakdown of... Okay, let's uh, let's export and import all the DB switches and all the port groups and all their configurations. Now let's export and import all of the um, the storage DRS clusters and identify which data stores go in which. <laughs> and then let's export all of the virtual machines and their folders so we know where to put them back so that when users log in next time, they'll have access to the virtual machines that they had access to before. Uh, and then we had the, the big scary part. After we had copied all the configurations, then it was the, the disconnect of the ESX server from vCenter and the connecting of that ESX server to the new vCenter. And then we had to migrate uplinks from the old DB switches off and connect to the new DB switches so that the virtual machines could have their virtual network adapters moved from the old DB switches to the new without actually losing network connectivity. You have to have multiple network adapters on your DB switches to do that. So uh, we, we moved one of our functional uplinks off of the old DB switch connected to the new DB switch and then moved all of our network adapters to connect to the new DB switch port groups. And, and that was all scripted um, at one host at a time. And it would automatically move the host, connect it to the new DB switch, take one of its uplinks, connect it to the new DB switch, and then move all the virtual machine networking across and then go grab the next host and do it again. <laughs> 
So um, how did you test all of these scripts before doing it in anger, <laughs> knowing that, you know, you write something, will it work? Will it give you yes. an error? Did you, did, you have, did you have a lab environment where you could... I do. It? I do. I love my lab environment. <laughs> um, without my lab environment, I'd be lost, certainly. Um, we did our lab environment first, uh, and we upgraded it to 5.1. Uh, we had a bit more of a simple, uh, a simple install to test it with. Um, instead of having a separate database, SSO and, and inventory, we didn't put all that onto one server, uh, being that my lab's fairly small. And, and we did that exact thing. We, we tested the scripts one at a time. And yes, I had certainly had some bugs. Um, I had to work through the bugs. Um, and then we had an opportunity to do it in our dev test environment, which is fairly large. Uh, yeah, I, I, we're large enough to have a, a sandbox and a dev test, which was nice. The dev test was next, and we ran into, we ran into a glitch that, that caught me a little off guard. Um, the, the DV switches in uh, 5.1 have some different settings by default than 5.0, and uh, we wound up having a little bit of impact. We lost some network connectivity oh, due to the, the setting that changed. Um, by default in 5.0, um, the uh, the policy to reject forged transmits oh. and MAC address changes uh, they're dis they're disabled. There's or they're set they're accept they're set to accept in in, in 5.1. The DV switches are set to reject forged transmits and MAC address changes, and and we have a handful of a handful of systems that uh, that do require MAC address changes. It's not like intrusion and, uh, detection so, systems and things like that. Yes. Yeah, because I remember and, historically intrusion detection because they've got to you know handle MAC addresses and analyze things. They often need different security settings, don't they? So we had we had a little bit of a goose chase trying to find why the virtual machines are powered on and connected but have no IP connectivity, um, and then we discovered. Um, and PowerShell came to the rescue once again and modified the configuration settings of the DV switches, and we were in business. <clears throat> so that process uh, took us about um, about six hours actually wow. uh, to to move. Uh, actually, it was a, it was closer to three thousand virtual machines. The five thousand comes from our dev test environment and our production together. Our dev test environment we did about four weeks prior. Uh, our production environment we did um, after uh, after a smooth run of our dev test migration. So at least you've been through the process once in the test environment before you yes. did it in your production. And and that actually gave a lot of faith to upper management when we went and requested that we do this to three thousand production systems in one day, it, trying to explain the risk of disconnecting the virtual networking, um, which is essentially allowed for a, a blip, sometimes a ping drop, uh, but not usually. Most of them were very quick because it's not a vMotion operation. It's just a, a reconfiguration of the network adapter mm. to disconnect from the old DB switch and connect to the new. Not that everybody need, would need to do a migration, but we certainly felt the need to um, due to the complexity of our setup um, our, with our certificates uh, and, uh, and with wanting to really start with a clean slate. Sure. Uh, and we really had the faith uh, in the organization, had the faith in us after we did it to dev test. It's nice to see that uh, there's still creativity out there in finding different ways of getting from one release to another. Because I, I doubt whether this is, I don't want to say a recognized way of doing upgrade, but I doubt there is a VMware documentation that says this is how you do an upgrade from or a migrate from 5.0 to 5.1 using PowerShell. So uh, I look forward to the uh, blog posts that tell everybody how you did it all. Yeah, and I, I'm actually, I, I don't think it's going to go out of style, to be honest with you. When the next version of vCenter comes out, um, I, I, whether or not it's a, it's a massive new release or not, or maybe two versions from now, mm -hmm. if, the, if the architecture changes again, and something, something happens in vCenter that's very different, and we feel the need to, to start with a clean slate, 
uh, VMware has been very consistent at at keeping their Power CLI um, backwards compatible. Uh, obviously, we I was at version 5.1 connecting to 5.0 hosts, and even I've connected to 4.x hosts and being able to run the majority of the same commands, uh, which is wonderful. And that backwards compatibility is going to allow me in the future if I need to migrate again to a new vCenter, mm. if, if the architecture changes or if uh, I know that there's lots of talk about what's going to happen with SSO in the future. And, uh, and some, there's lots of talk also about um, the more, more broad use for the appliance that, that are, that's already out there. Um, if, if we look to move toward that route and we want to deploy in a, a kind of a clean slate once again, I, I've got the scripts. So mm. um, it's, it's not a waste, which is, uh, which is why I script. So many things are reusable. Indeed, that's true. So the, the other thing uh, that you mentioned in uh, email sort of discussing, you know, topics to talk about is that you've been doing some work with uh, SRTS um, Ooh, yes. and also with, with auto-deploy, which, you know, they're not directly related as as, as topics. But um, let's start with one of them, auto-deploy. What, what lessons have you learned in playing around with auto-deploy? One of my passions right now. So I'm deep in the middle of uh, of migrating our system off of uh, USB thumb drives, um, the, the ESXi embedded to auto deploy, and um, I feel like a giddy little schoolboy when I get to, to <laughs> pixie boot something and it has no local storage. It's great. I love absolutely love it. Uh, it scares it scares a few folks who uh, who lack the uh, the full understanding uh, of of what it, what's actually happening. But the fact that I can reboot a server and have no local storage and have it streamline and configure and and auto connect a new esx server with all the configurations i want it's absolutely a dream especially since i have a a pile on my shelf over there i don't think you can see them of of dead thumb drives with big black x's on them that oh. fail on me there's a whole there's a whole pile of them the uh the lessons learned back to your question um there was really uh, uh, being that the, the the three people that work on my team. I'm, I'm the one who dabbles in PowerShell, and Auto Deploy is is very much PowerShell driven. Uh, there is a GUI out there, but I feel like if there's not a good, healthy understanding of the architecture of Auto Deploy and at least some PowerShell knowledge, that you're hindering yourself from really understanding the full grasp of what PowerShell, PowerShell and Auto Deploy could do for you. And and that was that was obvious when I had a few sit down meetings with with my guys that work with me, who were who were devoted to the GUI um, that was written, which is a great fling that's out there on VMware's website that really helps you get started, but it it didn't give them the full understanding of the objects in Auto Deploy and the relationship between those objects, and which is why I required that yes they can use the GUI, but they need to go out and study the manual from Auto Deploy from VMware and learn what the objects do and, and learn the PowerShell commands to understand what the GUI is doing. So that when something goes wrong, that they know how to fix it with PowerShell. Because uh, obviously the, the GUI requires updating anytime any any uh, vCenter upgrades or a patch comes out. Mm. My preference is always to go to PowerShell. Um, but I understand there's a, there's a big need for the GUI as it simplifies um, quite a few things. Um, and that was probably the first big hurdle, was making sure that there was a good, healthy understanding of PowerShell. Uh, the second was uh, there was definitely some gotchas with communicating with our our enterprise DHCP team. Uh, if you have the ability to have a, a self-contained, your own TFTP server and your own DHCP server and can control that piece of it, um, there's probably going to be some some ease and simplicity. Um, but trying to there was a lot of communication issues with trying to make sure DHCP was set up correctly and and uh, we had the right helper addresses on our network to point to our TFTP server and 
there was definitely some configuration glitches there and, and some communication problems. Uh, once we got through that and DHCP was functional, um, we were, for the most part, we were in business. Um, there are a few little gotchas within PowerShell and making sure that you have a good image management and a good naming convention. There's a couple helps out there. Most of it would be in the blog sphere that will help you keep track of which images and host profiles belong to which cluster and which ESX build versions and, and things of that sort. And it, it, was, it was critical that you have a good naming convention so that you understand what, what your images are being deployed. For example, um, we deploy with uh, IBM uh, servers. And it, we required to have uh, an, an IBM VIB package included in our in our VMware package as we do our deployments. Um, but we're also doing some testing with some other hardware vendors. So it was important to understand what packages are included in your image, what build version of ESX you have in your image, and then your host profile, you know, what cluster are your ESX servers going to go into and your rules. And there's a lot of objects. And we actually had to sit down as a team and decide, here's going to be our naming standard for these different objects. So nobody's confused when we're doing these deployments. Um, that was probably gotcha number two because it was – after we started testing in our sandbox, we wound up within a week, we probably had 15 different rules and nine different images, and we couldn't keep track of what went to what. So that was when we had to sit down and have a heart-to-heart -heart about, all right, here's the naming convention. Get rid of the, the bizarre test production. You had to have more details. So did you, I mean, I know the, um, the image when you put it down, you can have one that either includes VMware tools or one that doesn't. Was there any debate about which base image to use for auto-deploy, or did you just go for the one that was full? Um, no, we went with uh, we went with the one with tools. Um, that was primarily due to the dependency our teams have in, in our enterprise um, for deploying VMware tools as an install straight from the ESX server. So that was important for us. Where it mounts uh, the ISO locally, and then you can script the, the MSI install and things like it. Yes, that was important. The other interesting thing that, that I noticed was uh, was a bit of a a question in the in the field was do you virtualize your auto deploy server so that it's running on the ESX servers that are being auto deployed uh, and there are some best practices out there about not running your auto deploy server on a server that's been auto deployed by that auto deploy server. It's confusing as that might have sounded. So, Thankfully, we had uh, enough sit-down and know-how to put our auto-deploy server in our segmented management cluster. Um, our environment's large enough to where um, we, we decided to build a VMware management cluster and have it um, not be auto-deployed. Mm. So that when, when catastrophe strikes, as inevitably it will, when our data center fails and something happens and we lose clusters upon clusters of ESX servers, our auto-deploy server is not going to be dependent on that particular vCenter or that auto-deploy server. So we'll be able to bring it up independently and bring the rest of the environment up. There was also a lot of concern that I read about scalability. Is auto-deploy going to be able to handle? What if you 50 of your ESX servers go down and power all back on again at the same time? Can you handle it? Um, we've talked about that internally, and we scaled up our testing to two full clusters. I actually rebooted 16 ESX servers at once, uh, and and they all rebooted just fine. Um, it was great. And uh, for our size, if, if we can do that many at one time, um, uh, we found a comfort level in saying, yeah, we're, we're okay. 
We did have an auto deploy server question, per site. The bigger question is if you did leave lose sixteen servers or more in one, that would probably be a blading closure failure or a failure of a complete rack. So yes, w- would they even come up if you've had a blading closure failure or a a rack failure? You you might have blackness for a considerable period of time. We just we just needed to prove internally, partly for ourselves, but for, partly we need to justify our infrastructure to say that this small virtual machine that's running TFTP and doing auto-deploy image uh, deployment for us is fully capable of handling um, pushing this image out. Mm. Uh, and that, I guess, is testament to how small VMware has been able to pack their hypervisor um, and how seamlessly auto-deploy uh, is, is pixie-booting these servers. So I, I've been thrilled. I, I just I converted eight more systems just in, in two days uh, yesterday. Uh, and there are some changes to some networking configurations and things like that, but, I mean, it's it's uh, thrilling. And we're actually using it to upgrade our ESX servers from 5.0 to 5.1 as well. So it's it's giving us a second benefit. So is we're there, moving to auto-deploy across the board. Do you not think there's a little bit of a trade-off with auto-deploy, though? Because much though you need PowerShell skills to manage the auto-deploy, once you have got an auto-deploy server, it's configured by a host profile. It's not configured by standard tools because if you reboot it then those settings are lost because it's it's stateless it must get its settings always from uh the host profile so did you not feel a little bit i'm losing something here i love my power cli but i'm now having to use <laughs> host profiles to configure the i host didn't file. um i've uh, we've been using host profiles in our environment for a while mm. Uh, and, uh, and there was, there was one little gotcha as our ESX servers join active directory. Mm. So there was a new product that we had to bring in in order to have auto deploy join active directory correctly. We had to bring in the, uh, vSphere authentication proxy. All right, okay. That's a mouthful. So, and there was some, there was some learning there to understand what that proxy was doing and that it uses a, a service account to authenticate an ESX server through and join it to Active Directory. So we had a little bit of learning there. Um, but uh, being that host profiles were a big part of what we've been doing for years already um, because of the number of hosts we have, it was a small transition Fair for us. If it was a, a smaller smaller shop that each ESX server was configured individually, I, I could see that being a, a concern. Okay, and then the, on the flip side, uh, storage DRS, SRDS. Lessons learned uh, yes. on that. We we've had some we've had some growing pains there. With uh, there were some some patches that got released in five one update one that fixed some of our issues. Um, but uh, what we've been trying to do for since five was to automate automate the space consumption in the hopes eventually we'd be able to to be full on thin provision for a lot of our environment. But there was a big fear within provisioning. Uh, well, then you can fill your data stores. So you're at risk. Well, auto, well, using SDRS would allow the management and, and the auto movement of virtual machines from one data store to another to manage that capacity. But um, we uh, we definitely had some some issues. We're still working through a few, but most of them are done. Our, our dev test environment is now fully automated um, for both uh, capacity uh, as well as performance. So where uh, SDRS runs on a on a uh, on, uh, is fully uh, fully automated. We had it initially testing on a schedule, so we would only run at night, just to make sure we had some faith in what it was doing and what it was monitoring. Mm. Uh, and uh, we have faith in it. It's uh, it's so is that journey being a bit like uh, DRS and turning on DRS fully automated. A little bit of confidence was required before moving the widget. 
a, a little bit. Um, I, now DRS was definitely there was a there was a manual aspect. I mean, I'm the VM admin. I'm the one who has to balance the farm. And now that VMware's doing it for me, it's okay. Well, I have to make sure it's doing it right, and make sure everything's working correctly. Uh, yes, so very similar in the storage aspect. I mean, as VM admins, we're the ones who balance the storage. When a data store fills up, we get an alarm, and we have to go, you know, uh, move VMs around. Uh, so there was there was some faith that we needed. Um, but to be honest with you, we had been so busy managing the infrastructure in our growth, we were at that we were at that point where we would just needing some storage automation so we had to we had to get our faith quickly uh and really and really put our trust in in, in the product and and it's been working well for us ever since i'd say what's interesting about that is even people who are from vmware who know vmware well when anything new comes along there's this kind of well we need to burn this in a little bit and get some confidence in it <laughs> and then we then go to people outside of our particular unit in networking or in storage to convince them to do things but even even ourselves we need that sort of internal confidence before we take it externally which i think is you know completely reasonable really it's a change in our workflow in our day-to-day -day as well. I mean, we're, we're, we're taking something that we do on a day-to-day -day basis and handing it over to a piece of software and doing something else. Mm. I, I wouldn't say that necessarily gives us free time, but it gives us the ability to work on something else. And the most important thing is trying to train our brains because we've been trained to worry about making sure this piece of the infrastructure is in place. We think about it because it's a part of our day-to-day -day workflow. And if we hand it off to a piece of software... That doesn't mean we're automatically not thinking about it anymore. We've been thinking about it for years. And now it's automated, but our brains are still in the habit of coming in in the morning and checking our data stores and making sure they're not full, making sure that snapshot that somebody took isn't filling up a data store. So there's a process of retraining the brain as well to know that you've got some faith. And, and to help us out, I actually wrote a couple PowerShell scripts to give me a report of all the storage vMotions that took place. So in the morning when I come in, I see that, oh, 15 VMs moved um, from, from one data store to another. And that gives me great confidence to know that SDRS is doing its job and it's it's uh, moving things around with the percentage thresholds that I set. And um, it it's it's been a lifesaver. It's so nice not having to come in in the morning and worry about balancing data stores. <laughs> so to close off, um, I wanted to ask you like more of a personal question, which is sure. you've recently d decided to uh, start blogging. And mm. we met through the, the VMware uh, user group in Pittsburgh. I don't know whether that was the first or second or third time. But I wanted to ask what, what made you want to start your own blog and you know engage more with the, the community than you have perhaps in the past? That's a, that's a tough question. Um, I, whenever I have opportunity to speak to virtual machine or VMware administrators, mm. uh, which would be at a VMworld or a VMUG event, uh, and I have uh, the opportunity to, to share some of the things I'm doing. Uh, I'm encouraged to know that the person I talk to almost every time, we have the opportunity to, to learn from each other. Um, and I've been consuming from the blog sphere that's out there and, and the KB articles that are there and people else who are blogging. I've learned so much from them. Uh, and it was really at the last VMUG what I realized. I sat down with two gentlemen who had our virtual VMware administrators and, and own their environment and really 
oh, we're at a different place than I was. I, I've been a VMware administrator for eight, eight to ten years now at two different companies, and, and they had been VMware administrators for two years, uh, and we're at a very different place. And, and I realized that a, a lot of what I had learned, they could learn from me because a lot of what I had learned had come from somebody else. And to be honest with you, I thought it was time. I, and I, I had actually, I felt bad after the VMUG realizing that I'd been an administrator for so long and I had written so much material and I'd never really let anybody else know hmm. all the weird things that I had done in the environment. Um, and, and we've run into a lot of weird things over the years, some very unique things. I know because VMware says they're going to write a KB article about what we figured out. Um, and, and they have on a couple occasions. And I, I guess after that, I went home that day and said, all right, that's it. I'm going to start blogging and start telling people all the weird things that we do around here. So the documentation that you've been doing over the last couple of years is mainly being for internal consumption for your team rather than for external consumption. It's actually been over three years now that I've been writing an internal newsletter. Um, I call it Virtual Sanity. <laughs> and that newsletter goes out, and uh, it used to be fairly technical, but more, more people wanted to read it in, in internal in the company. So now it's, um, it's kind of a high-level overview of the virtual infrastructure and what we're doing with VMware on a monthly basis. Mm. And, and I realize once again that I've got all of these resources archived. Um, some of them could be very beneficial for folks who have similar hardware configurations as we do or, or maybe are a, a hospital in a uh, healthcare vertical like we are who could really uh, take advantage of some of the things we've already stepped through. For example, I've spoken with some other folks in the Pittsburgh area and moving from vSphere 5.0 to 5.1 is, is not something that a lot of customers have done yet mm. just due to the inability to test or lack of staffing or, or they haven't been able to figure out how to do a migration like we did and have their full faith in SSO and all those other kind of changing the architecture of vCenter. I, I, I remember when I put my last newsletter out as that we upgraded from vCenter 5.0 to 5.1 and most folks kind of shrugged it off on their shoulders like, ah, you know, it's a dot one upgrade, not realizing how much work we had to do to get that done. I mean, the interface didn't change a whole lot, but vCenter really changed. I mean, it was a, a huge small upgrade. Uh, from a from a dot one perspective, and at, at the VMUG, um, I went to the uh, the the vSphere 5.1, um, kind of the what's new, the overview, only to see uh, the the number of people were there, and it was packed at the Western Pennsylvania VMUG here, and uh, and and the presenter asked the first question. So, how many of you, by raise of hands, have fully upgraded your environments to 5.1? Uh, and I think I was the only one who raised my hand. <laughs> mm. And uh, everybody else was kind of at that phase where they're putting it in their labs. They're, they're getting a comfort level, trying to understand the new components, the web component, the SSO components. And and that was another kind of, hey, Dave, why aren't you out there telling people that it's okay and sharing what you did? Uh, that was another kind of I think that's an interesting experience because um, back in when I first started with VMware, I spent a lot of time on the forums lurking querying the forums to find answers to questions. And after about, I don't know, a couple of months, I began to realize, you know what, there's questions here that I could answer, but I'm, I'm not through kind of fear in case I say something that's wrong or somebody might say, no, mine's wrong. It's this, this is what you should be doing. And it, just a little bit of courage of conviction to think, well, you know, I know this system pretty well now. I could actually be helping people. And that's how I got more involved in the community. And that, 
that writing on forums led into doing the blogging doing the blog led to led to 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 books so it's uh it's interesting to see that you want to go through that process and start contributing more because we need i think the community needs constantly receding with new people and new voices and new content uh because people do move on to do other things eventually and you know the community isn't just a finite number of people it's everybody contributing yeah, you, it only took you a few months. It took me a few years to finally get the get the guts to go out and publish, worrying about other people's opinions. So uh, it, it feels good. And I've only had a few blog posts out there, but I'm planning on doing it weekly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the first PowerShell script is out there. The first one we used, uh, and uh, more uh, every every post probably is going to be a new PowerShell script for the next uh, few months. So. so you're going to have to remind me what's the blog URL again? That would be Vbert. Uh, B-U-R-T, vbert.blogspot.com. You notice how I got that, that like product placement so smoothly? That was wonderful. <laughs> well Loved done. It. Well, David, it's been a pleasure and a joy to uh, chat to you. I uh, enjoyed it as much as uh, we did when we first met in Pittsburgh. And uh, we, if, I, if I get over to Pittsburgh again, we should meet up. Sounds good. Let's uh, speak soon. Anyway, have a good day and, and thanks for taking part. Take care. Thanks, Mike. Have a good one.